0: My name is Jess Critchlow, confidence mentor and TEDx speaker. And if you want to learn to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to The More Than Corporate Podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to
1: The More Than Corporate Podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success. No one size fits all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so excited because I'm a fan of your podcast. So it's a lot of fun to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, before we went on, we were talking about your TED talk, and I'm super excited to get into that. Um, I think it's fantastic. I shared it on my community page. Um, but I know that there's so much to your story before you got on that stage, and that's what mm. I'm excited to dig into today. So why don't we go ahead and start with what it was like for you growing up and kind of the never-ending question, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a little kid, <laughs> like high school age? Okay. Yeah. I was going to say,
0: you're like, how little do you want to go? Even though, yeah, I'd never taken a dance (laughs) class, but I was six. So, um, (laughs) yeah. So growing up, I mean, I grew up in a very small town in Canada where everyone knows everyone and everyone looks the same and everyone, buys a house within a 10 mile radius of their family. And it's, it's lovely. There's so many beautiful things about that. So I won't for a second be like, ugh, small towns, they're lovely. And I've actually moved back to a small town with my family. So it was a wonderful experience, but it, it was very, it was a very small world. So in my family of origin, I was like the peacemaker, right? I was the if things are going wrong, we can count on Jess to just be happy and make people laugh. And and that was my sort of role in my family of origin, which, you know, don't worry. I've talked to my therapist about it. I'm all right. I've worked, I've worked through that. Um, <laughs> we all need a good one of those right? That's sure. yes, exactly it. <laughs> but yes. And so when I went to school, because my identity was the good girl, as so many of us have that identity, um, it was get Top scores in all your classes, you know. And so in high school, as you know, the top top sort of scorer, I'm doing air quotes, um, my name was on the little charts they put in classrooms of who got the top <laughs> score on that test. And I was always on there. And it was that, you know, a lot of people who are like, Yep, that was me, that was me. So valedictorian in high school, and I was like, Well, I'm gonna go and study science and I'm gonna be like a doctor or a, <laughs> a or you know, like these, what are these very um Socially acceptable yes. roles that are counted as achieving, you have achieved if you are a. Yes. Were. So I went to university, amazing, amazing experience. Um, challenge though, I got accepted into a wonderful program at a great university, um, which was a science program. And then I realized I don't actually like doing science. Because I'm too, like, I'm actually turns out really chaotic. Like, I don't wanna add the five mils. I wanna just dump some stuff in and see what happens. So, crisis of confidence, as we all have when we're about like 19 or 20. Yes. Right? All of us in some form or another, like, oh, life's now different than the like watercolor picture I painted. (laughs) I know, right? Like, this is not the way life was gonna turn out. This is not the way I drew it. You got it. So, that's where I discovered psychology fell madly in love, fell madly in love with psychology, did an honors program, um, realized I couldn't, didn't really have skills beyond reading research papers and writing really, really, really long papers about it. So then went to, did a postgraduate in HR management and started a career in human resources.
1: That's um, amazing as far as the psychology side. And Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued by the psychological world in general, but it took me Mm -hmm. a little bit longer to get there. So Mm -hmm. I love that you called it a crisis of confidence, I think is the word that you used, Mm -hmm. um, at 19, because I talk about this often with everybody. Um, if, the people who listen to my podcast know that I lost my dad at 19. Mm. And I tell people all the time that like, that's the point in time where you're trying to figure out what your life actually looks like. You're trying to figure out who you are as an adult. And then you have this crisis that happens on top of that, that just rips your entire world apart. And so when you mention that crisis of confidence, like it really hits home, especially in like my story. And I know there are a lot of people out there that also suffered trauma in that area and Mm. they were trying to figure out who they were. So I think, that that hits home for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, as far as HR is concerned, so we um, are going to dig into your TED Talk a ton because I'm in love with it. But um, I, one of my favorite things about what you talk about is this emotionless professional, the, mm-hmm. the myth that you have to give up everything. Yes. I'm a practicing attorney. I talk to a lot of people who are pharmacists, doctors, mm-hmm. and we talk about this idea that when you go to a graduate program, really of any kind that you're going to be dealing with people, they almost train the human out of you. Yep. They almost tell you, you
0: 100% know. agree.
1: And so I love that you're talking about bringing that back. So can you talk a little bit about where this idea of the emotionless professional came from for you mm-hmm. and where,
0: what caused you to dig into this topic? Yeah. Well, it started and it's <sighs> a very good segue. So, <laughs> and went to do my postgraduate studies in HR management. And I remember I'll never for, you know how you have those moments. I'll never forget the instructor of the program. And she was really well-known professional in, on the East coast of Canada. She's, she's phenomenal. It was maybe the third or fourth day of class and I've got my you know binder and I'm all excited. And she said, um, A lot of people get into HR because they like people and that is not your job. Your job is to keep the company like legal compliant. And actually you'll end up being the police in a lot of organizations you work in. And my heart just broke because I got into it thinking, I, I know that, um, working in a mental health field is such a, such an amazing world. It's not quite the right fit for me. I knew that even at 20. And I said, okay, you know, and so I was like, where, where can I fit this, this love and this passion and this interest in people? And I was like, Oh, I can work in business in, in this field. And, and cue crisis of confidence number two. <laughs> and so what I did though, and this is, I don't blame myself for this. I'm glad I did it because that's the best way to learn is just going for it is I accepted that I was like, okay, she knows I don't. She's the professional. I am not. Okay. That's my goal. Now I need to train the squishiness out and I need to be able to, you know, be at a termination meeting and not cry and not tear up. I have to be able to be at a disciplinary meeting and take notes and nod and not smile and not touch their hand because they're sitting there in tears. I have to be able to do all of these things. And I will say, I think there is of course a place to be professional. I'm not suggesting show up at your office in hot pants and like, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's not what we're talking about here at all, right? Like I'm saying, can I have empathy and still do a really great job? And that's, that's the answer to that question in my mind at 20 was, no, you cannot, no, you cannot do that. That has been explained very clearly to me. Okay. Got it. And then I got into industry and I started, like I said, on the, on, on my talk, right. It was, it was truly painful for me. Like it was, it was a true, um, I just felt like I wasn't even in my own skin when I went to work. And I like, and it was strange because I enjoyed the people I worked with. The company was a wonderful, wonderful company. And yet I just kept feeling, yeah, like I was bursting out of my own skin. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it. And
1: I, and how long did it take
0: you to get there? Like, uh, was it, it it took a good, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not like it took a 20 year career to get there, but, but given that I felt like I was bursting out of my skin. It was about two and a half years okay. of of just, yeah, I wasn't okay. So you're, you're going to
1: this job and you're sitting there thinking, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. This isn't me. This mm-hmm. isn't what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of, for lack of a better word, an identity crisis did you have with that? Like, this is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Or
1: on the other side of that coin, um this is what i worked so hard for i mm-hmm. have to i have to push through and suck it up like how much of that was going on
0: yeah it it was a lot of the second one and i even you know when i was thinking about i was thinking about some just reflecting knowing we were going to have this lovely conversation <laughs> i thought of so many opportunities opportunities i turned down that looking back on was was just so silly, like opportunities to travel, opportunities to move to different places in the country uh, or in the world. And I turned them down because I was like, "No, I did my four-year degree. I did my postgraduate studies. Like I've got my plan. Um, And I was really (laughs) wedded to that plan. And part of it too is I used, and I, you know, in those two and a half years, I flailed. Like I flailed and applied to all these graduate programs and then changed my mind. And I, it's like, I wanted to intellectualize what the right thing was to do. And it, I learned for me, that's just not how it works <laughs> for, yeah. me, for me. I think that that's a
1: struggle that a lot of people that have a postgraduate education mm-hmm. go with like, this doesn't feel right. Cause I feel like there's getting there takes so much discipline, no matter mm-hmm. what Area you're in. And when you're that disciplined and that analytical to Mm -hmm. be able to make it through an education program in a post grad, Mm -hmm. then you want to think your way through every other decision you're making in your life. And we just don't work that way. We're not, Mm
0: -hmm. as much
1: as we want to believe we are, we're not thinking, Mm -hmm. we're not thinking animals.
0: Oh, are feeling
1: animals. What
0: is the, I, I'm sure it was, I'm going to credit Brene Brown, but I apologize if I'm crediting the wrong person. The, the quote was, we think we're logical people who are occasionally emotional. We're actually emotional creatures who are only occasionally logical. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, that, yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know um,
1: where that quote comes from, but I actually just read that in Mark Manson's new book. Okay. If you haven't read that yet, um, everything is spot. Uh, with the a book about hope. <laughs> yes. yes. And um, I'm a huge Mark Manson lover of mm. his first book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And what I loved about the second book is it was more technical and more like mm. actual. And, and he talks about that. He talks about the fact that we are feeling people where mm-hmm. that's how anybody who thinks you can think your way through a decision doesn't work that way. You feel your yeah. way through it. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting in this position where you're Um, trying to logically work your way through this. And inside, you just know that there's something that's not right. Mm -hmm. What, What intrigues me about your story is that so many people that are in this say, it must be my job. Let me just give up everything and walk away. And instead, you start thinking about Maybe there's another way I can approach this. Was that a logical decision as well? I know you tell the story in your TED talk of <laughs> that individual and that um, yeah. experience. Did that just kind of happen and it was a spur of the moment thing, or, or was yeah. there a decision-making
0: process? Oh, I would love to paint myself as this really wise individual. Like I'm not, I'm a hot mess too. No, it was, it was very trial and error. And that's, that's how I know that that is where the best stuff comes from. For me, I, I can't truly think things through and find a great result from that. Again, that's just me. I'm happy for other people to say, Nope, that's the best way for me. (laughs) I, I was flailing around. I had, this was at the time, a, a very good friend of mine was doing, um, life coach training and I'd never even heard of coaching. Like coaching to me was like, Oh, you're like, you've got a baseball team and you got to tell them yeah. what to do. Right. So she said, Hey, I just, I really think you'd get a lot out of having a coach. Cause I know. And I, again, my very worldview was, um, my worldview was, I just need a promotion. That, that was what I had somehow magically decided would yep. make me feel great at work is I, like, well, I just need a promotion. Okay, cool. So she's like, you know, I think a coach can help you with your career goals. I was like, great. Hired a coach as anyone knows who's had a coach. no. <laughs> he's like he was like, cool, okay, yeah, we can work on getting you a promotion. Let's let's just dig into some other stuff first. <laughs> I was like, okay. Having so, no
1: idea what you're getting into. Yeah.
0: So then, you yeah. know, and he dug up all this stories I had about success and stories I had about like the goalpost of I will be happy when, I will be confident when, I will be, you know, relaxed when, and of course, all of that's nonsense. And um, So, yeah, so having a coach, I then went through um, a coach training as well. Um, And through all of that, I just started to do things differently. And I can't even truly say it was a conscious choice. It was like that moment of sitting across from someone that I had to, a very senior person, and I had to go through their termination with them. And it was not, it was not a, I'm going to walk. There was no, like, I'm going to walk into this room as me and I'm going to be, compassionate and empathetic. And I'm going to just talk to this human to person, human to human that did not happen. I, I was like, okay, <laughs> hey, I've got my blazer. I've got my folder with my information and my numbers. And I'm going to sit and I'm going to walk them through it. And I'm going to get them to sign because that's what they're paying me to do. And then it just, something else just happened. And it was, I, I've never looked back, never looked back. I love
1: the universe for stories (laughs) like that, because it just like, that's the the way that it was supposed to happen, right? Like, um, and I think that any of us who have gone down this path realize that that fear and, and for everybody it's different, but it's always this fear of what are people going to think of me if I show my emotions, what, Mm -hmm. what is the rest of the HR world or the legal field or the medical field? Like That nobody does this. Um, and once you realize that you start to show your emotions and you don't die, And that um, you don't get like a cast out of all of your professional community friends and like, you know, nobody has like your head on sticks. Um, You know, you you start to move on and go down that road and realize how much better that you feel. Um, I think there was a really important distinction that you made as you were going through talking about this. And that was the difference between behavior and emotion. Can you dig
0: into that a little bit and what you meant by that? Oh my gosh. If there is one thing people will get out of the work I do before I die, it is that. (laughs) Here's what, because I've worked in HR and then I've worked in my bulk of my career was in learning and development, working with leaders, um, you know, workplace culture and, and time and time and time and time again, what I hear is if I allow anger at team meetings, things will be out of control. People will be aggressive. People will be disrespectful. People will get into fights. People won't focus on their work. People like, and I have to keep saying, listen, you are talking about choices people make with their behavior, right? There is, these aren't even in the same world. I can feel an emotion and not act on it. That's, the definition of being a human. Like we have this ability. It's incredible. Like we've all got this ability. It's wait, a skill. wait, wait, wait. It's, it's, a a skill. Skill. <laughs> it's a thing. You got it, my friend. It's a skill. I will admit there are some of us who are a little more practiced than others. I it is a skill, but we get to leave space for both. We get to say, all of your feelings are welcome in this team. And here are the here is the guidelines of behavior in this team right? So we only speak with respect about each other. We only attack ideas, not people. We only, um, you know, we only focus on socializing when we're respectful of people's time, basically. Like we don't socialize when someone is under the gun and really trying to get something done. You get to define what is okay and what is not okay and make space for here is how we talk about when we're frustrated. Like you get to even define it for people. That, that does not preclude, um, like that does not make it that emotions are not okay if you say these are the behaviors that are okay and not okay in this team. In fact, if anything, it makes it easier because people understand the rules. Part of, part of the challenge that I see in our workplaces where we can't express ourselves is we don't understand the rules written and they're all so unwritten as well that we're all guessing at them. We're all getting them wrong. Sometimes we're getting, I'll try not to swear. Um, Uh, Go away. Go ahead. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Sometimes we're getting shit on for certain things we do. And then the next day we do the same thing and we're applauded. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? That's a big part of why emotions are really scary in our workplaces is we don't, understand how to express them when they're okay, when they're not okay, what to do when we feel the anger, the joy, the whatever. You get to define those people. You really do. That's okay.
1: Yeah, that's so powerful. And for me, um, I used to always say that I wasn't a creative person because I work in the legal field. I'm so analytical. Yeah. But Creativity shows up in a million different ways, especially when you're figuring out how to run an office, when you're figuring out how to represent a client. Like Mm. we hear creative and we think artistic and movies Mm -hmm. and things like that, but creative shows up in every Mm -hmm. industry. And when what I hear when you say that is by keeping those emotions out of team meetings, you're suppressing everybody's creativity because your creativity Mm -hmm. comes from what you're feeling about a particular Mm -hmm. um, event. And so there's a couple of things that popped in my head when you said that. The first was the creativity issue. And then the second was like this team leader that's basically imposing their thoughts on what could possibly happen if they let emotions come on to mm-hmm. the detriment of everybody on his team.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's two things I always see that happens when when I work with a team or in a company where emotions are not allowed. Two things every time: the creativity for sure. You cannot be creative and innovative in a psychologically unsafe environment. When you can't throw out an idea and feel okay about it being a terrible idea, when it's <laughs> not a safe place, yeah. um, it's not gonna happen. No one's gonna throw out ideas because they're 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 not accepted for making mistakes for throwing out crazy solutions that aren't going to work. So the two other things I see is one, just energy, right? The sheer amount of time and effort it takes to pretend I'm happy when I'm really and truly infuriated and frustrated and just so annoyed with what work we're doing, but I'm pasting on a smile and going, okay, I'll I'll work on it right away. I'm so excited about this. That that truly is an energy suck. So that's one. The other thing, the emotion is there anyways. You not allowing it to be expressed is not making it go away. It's not like, <laughs> oh, I'm just super excited about all the work we're doing. My anger has dissipated because I'm not allowed to express it. No, it's still there. So now I'm feeling resentful as well as frustrated. And now I'm talking bad about my manager to another colleague of mine. Like it doesn't solve anything, not allowing those emotions. And one thing I didn't talk about a lot in the TED talk purely for time is What I see a lot is actually the positive emotions are just as, if not more scary for people in the workplace, because it's like, I'm not professional. um, We're wasting time. Like what our obsession is with time. I don't know, but there it is. Um, That is just as uncomfortable for people, actually.
1: That's so interesting that you say that. So when you're talking about positive emotions for those who may not be Mm -hmm. um,
0: familiar with that term, what are you referring to? Oh my gosh. I'm just like, I'm flashing up. My kid has a calming corner with like a huge emotions chart because this was not the world I grew up in. The world I grew up <laughs> in is like, you can feel calm. That is the only emotion you are allowed. Um, like, but happy, joyful, excited, silly is a big, that is one of our positive emotions that we don't allow at work It's to our detriment. Um, um, Calm, uh, flexible is one, which is really just another, it's the affect of, of creativity. These are all ones that are so valuable, and we don't allow them just as much as we don't allow the bad ones. I know people say, like, oh, but I have fun with my employees. I'm like, do you though,
1: <laughs> you might think you have fun with your employees, but what do your employees think, right? Because if we're talking about creativity and happiness, and, and all of this doesn't even just go to creativity, we're talking about longevity loyalty, Mm -hmm. willingness Mm -hmm. to stay in a place. And Mm -hmm. um, so much of that comes from the individual person's reception of what you're doing. So you may be saying, oh, I have fun with my employees and they're seeing you as this person who's trying to have fun, but not allow any type of like play at all. Yeah. Um, And I find the reason that I'm so intrigued with this topic is because for me personally, I felt like I needed to upheave my entire life and change it. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't like, thank God I had a good therapist and an amazing coach because they prevented me from throwing my life away, (laughs) but, Nobody takes the time to define the things that are important to them in their life. And Mm -hmm. then they pick up and they think, okay, I'm not happy. So we're just going to scratch the whole thing Mm -hmm. and start over. Mm -hmm. And when we start talking about this in a professional sense, you may love your job and it may be the environment that Mm -hmm. is unhappy because of this. And so for that person that's in that spot, What advice do you have for them when they are in a place where they feel like they're emotionally restrictive, but if they were to logically think about it, they enjoy their
0: work? Yeah, a few things come to mind and I'm going to be, try to be really concise so I don't ramble for 30 minutes about this topic because this (laughs) is like, you know, it's my topic. Um, So, so one is, and let's just be really clear for some of you. There, some people that are listening, they do work in a toxic workplace that is not psychologically safe. And so, any advice I give to that person um, is is probably not going to be helpful. Like, there is some of us that work in a place where it's not okay to do any of those things. Um, but here's what I will also say: is a lot of us think we work in that environment, and we a lot of us actually don't. So there's a few things I would say. So, so one is around real relationships at work. Everyone should have, especially those who work in a bigger organization. Obviously, if you're in a company of three people, this can get tricky. This <laughs> is not a lot of choice, but <laughs> you should have one real friend, one real friend at work. And I don't, I know that sounds hokey, but it's really not. It's based on data. There's a lot of data, especially around the work um, Gallup has done in employee engagement that, If you have a true friend, someone who you go for lunch with and you don't even talk about work, like you kind of forget that you work together, that is a huge, that goes a huge, huge, long way to enjoying showing up, to like being able to weather the bad days and the annoying coworkers, because you do have this person that's in your corner, you can go to them, you can talk about whatever. That is a big one. How do you make a friend at work? Which I know sounds silly, like it sounds like (laughs) we should all know how to do that. It's hard to make friends. It is hard. Really hard. Like, watch your kids, or watch kids. I should say. I realize that everyone has kids. Kids know how to do this. They literally walk up to someone and say, "Hey, can I play cars with you?" And they go, "Okay." And then they get to <laughs> know each other, and then they're either friends or they're not. That's actually how it still works for grownups. <laughs> so, you get really scared. You get really scared,
1: right? When saying, do you think that changed oh. for us? Like, when do you think as a person that we became the individual that couldn't say hi to somebody when you're sitting at the airport or couldn't, uh, like, we just feel like we can't even communicate with people to build a connection because we're constantly being judged.
0: Look, we probably have to ask a child psychologist for whether I'm (laughs) making this up or not. Here's, Here's what I believe and what I've seen. I think it's younger than, like, I know a lot of people say like, oh, high school and yeah, high school, anyone who liked high school, I'm like.
1: Really? Like high
0: school? <laughs> oh my God. I'd never do high school again, man. I think I truly think it's around like 11, 12 years old. I really think that's when we start to look to the left, look to the right and go, I'm not as pretty as that one. I'm not as smart as that one. I'm not as funny as that one. I'm not as outgoing as that one. And we start to just play the comparison game and it becomes way too scary. That's that's what I have seen. What do you what do you think? Like where do you think this tips over? I think I tend to agree with you. I think it might
1: even be a little bit younger than that. Um, yeah. from, from an NLP um, perspective and a psychological perspective, when we look at like an imprint year being zero to seven,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: like you're modeling from like what eight to like what 12, 13 ish, mm-hmm. I think it's in that modeling period of like eight to 13 where we start mm-hmm. to actually look around and figure out like where mm-hmm. is our place in the world.
0: That mm-hmm. we start
1: comparing things. I think it's really interesting, though, that the for for me, and again, I'm not a child psychologist either, so this entire podcast could be complete bullshit. But hopefully, <laughs> it's entertaining. Um, but <laughs> I think that, like, as we know in the psychological world, the the things that trigger a change in behavior don't always actually have a a visible behavior change for years down the road, mm. and so I think that. Those thought process could start around the eight to 12 to 13, but we don't actually see the true impact of those until post high school. Mm. because yeah. like yeah, for me, I, I grew up in a really small town. So I didn't really have to, there wasn't options for me. The people that mm-hmm. I started kindergarten with were the people I graduated high yeah. school from. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I actually got into a place where you had to stand on your own two feet. You don't have your parents telling you where to go. You don't have these rules that you, mm-hmm. that you're figuring out where your place is in the world. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, all those comparisons make a huge impact. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my
0: take on it. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so funny you say that what I to mind is I used to love writing and then it was about, we had a writing competition at school. I would have been in grade four. So what's that? Nine, 10 years old. And I remember that was the first moment where I realized other people were better writers than me, that it was like a spectrum and I wasn't at the top. And so I never really wrote again. Until, so until crazy. I did a whole bunch of work as an adult and now I do write again, granted it's mostly, you know, blogs and stuff for my work, but I really enjoy it. And I still, to this day, let me be very clear. I haven't cleared that. It's not like I'm just like, Doo, do, do. who cares that other people are better writers than me. La la. No, I still, to this day, I'm like, oh, does this make sense? Like someone <laughs> else write that's so much better than me, but whatever. But I just, I, I don't let it make my decisions for me now. That's the only difference.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really powerful because there are so many people that look at another individual that's a little bit higher up on this, Mm -hmm. whatever scale they perceive um, Mm -hmm. and think they have it all figured out. And then we have these conversations and we realize that everybody's like, these things never get easier. You just mm. get easier. You get better at managing them. You get better mm. at telling your emotions or, or let's, let's go with fear. You get better at not letting fear hold you back. If your never yes. goes away, you just get yeah. better at like putting it in its, in its place and pushing through mm-hmm. anyways and saying, you know, I've, I've got to push yeah. through this. So
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Are you still in the HR space or are you coaching full-time now?
0: No. So I, I moved away from HR actually, even while I was still an employee, I moved into learning and development, which people are like, that sounds like HR. It's kind of is, it's just fun HR. (laughs) So it's training and leadership coaching and, you know, the coaching, consulting, training world. So, so that is what I do full time now. So I moved away from being employed. I'm self-employed now and I do mostly training. Uh, virtual and well in person when you know when the whole world wasn't on fire. Yeah, when um, we can like actually be people. Yeah again. when we could see other humans. So I'd like to get back to that again. <laughs> training, team building, and then and then consulting and virtual training as well. And you know, I think I think what I wanna be really clear with people, if there's anything I've learned, and it doesn't have to be someone who wants to be self-employed, you can get to like there's lots of days I miss being employed for lots of reasons. It is not inherently worse or not as good. Right? <laughs> Here's what I'd say though, is anyone sort of back to that question of like, what, what should people do is yes. honestly try stuff. <laughs> like, my most well articulated advice, but it, like volunteer for a project, you might hate it and it might be a huge regret and you'll be like, Oh my God, I actually hate this part of work. Amazing off the list. <laughs> yeah. like that is a good result. Knowing you hate something. That's an amazing result, right? Volunteer for things, get onto different committees, put your hand up for different projects. And yes, I know you're busy and overwhelmed as you are. So also have the conversation of if I'm on this committee, I like to give up X thing. So it's a yes and a no, they've got to balance out. Try stuff on. That is the only, like, I just, it can't be a thought experiment. I just don't think it works that way. No, I agree with you.
1: I agree with you. And I think it's because everything that goes on in our mind is like we're creating that whole scenario, right? So Mm -hmm. we will think our way into the scenario that we want rather than just.
0: (laughs) Oh, trying yeah, I'm, it, I'm so. very good
1: at doing that. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Me too. I was actually having a conversation with my coach a little while ago, and and she got me to a point where because I was dealing with this identity crisis, and she got mm. me to a point where she says where I was able to say, you know what, that's actually really logical. And she says, with as high auditory digital as you are, why is this the one time in your life you choose not to listen to logic? And I was like, you know what, you just take your voodoo like ninja ninja yeah. stuff coaching life away. Take your mind, Ninja. Get out. <laughs> yes. like Get out of my head. Um, but it's crazy because that's the perfect example of us being so logical,
0: mm. but then
1: refusing to listen to logic when it doesn't fit oh, the yeah. scenario we oh, want yeah. to create, which is what happens when we think our way through anything.
0: Oh yeah. And our, like the other thing we have to remember is th- our fear, our fear impulse is so damn good at <laughs> disguising itself as logic, yes. right? Yes. Like, so, so, so just be very careful out there, my friends. Like you might have a 27 page document about why it's not the right time to apply for that job or to tell your manager you want to raise or to sign up for that, whatever team or whatever the apply for that graduate program. I can guarantee you 26 out of 27 of those pages is fear. One page is logic. There's always logical reasons not to do things, but I'm telling you, man, fear is so good at like, here's the reasons they're logical. A plus B equals C. Right. And yeah.
1: Yeah. It's crazy how true that is. So whoever's listening to this, you need to take from this behaviors are not emotions
0: And Mm -hmm.
1: fear is not your friend. (laughs) Fear is not logic. (laughs) Fear is
0: not your logical friend.
1: (laughs) Fear is not your logical friend. Fear could be your safety friend. We won't go as far as to say fear is not your friend. Like don't go jumping off like things without parachutes because that's bad. That
0: that Mm -hmm. kind of Mm fear is good. The fear (laughs) of like not applying for things is not good. So like, and I'd even go further and say fear is always your friend. East, you know, fear is just your friend who is. Is just so protective of you. It's like, dude, it's okay for me to try out for the choir. Like, I <laughs> try to protect me from embarrassment. And thank you. Like, your fear loves you more than anyone else in your life does. Your fear is madly, obsessively in love with you. And so, it doesn't want anything to happen to you, doesn't want you to ever feel a smidge of discomfort because your fear is so madly in love with you. And that's okay. That's lovely. That's very kind of it. And it doesn't get to pick. It doesn't get to pick.
1: (laughs) I love that at some point in time during this conversation, we have created fear as a person and a persona, (laughs) and I just might have to run with that. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, All right. So you decide um, that you're going to go into this consulting coaching role, which I think is amazing. And so, you work with leaders that are building their team, or do you work with the individual yes. team members? How do you do that?
0: Yeah, so so I've actually recently shifted. Um, for about three years, I was working only with leaders. Mostly, eighty percent of that was I call it consulting because I'm a, a wee bit too bossy for it to be called coaching, <laughs> even though I use all of my coaching tools and skills that I you know that I've studied. Um, and then, actually, just at the beginning of the year. Uh, I realized I miss, I really miss working with high potential individuals because I got to do that a lot in my employed roles. Mm -hmm. Yes, I worked obviously with management. That was 60 to 70% of what I did, but I also got to work with these just high potential, amazing people who were just just a little soft skill away from like showing their brilliance or like just a little tiny fear thing away from showing their brilliance. So I'm offering that as well now, working with individuals, um particularly around confidence and and the soft skills that can build that confidence um but but yes and and a lot of my work is is still with leaders as well and what
1: is if if you can boil it down this might be an unanswerable question and if it is mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. fine but what would you say is like the number one misconception that you get from leaders that are leading a team that you feel like you have to address with like almost every leader that you deal with mm.
0: that- Being nice and being kind are the same thing. That's actually an easy one for me to answer. Can you explain? Can you delve into that a little bit? Yeah. So somewhere along the line, and I'm gonna guess school, but whatever. Well, Well, we won't worry about where this came from. We decided that being nice to people, defining nice is making sure no one is uncomfortable, being nice to people was the goal in all of our group dynamics school teams workplaces right here's the problem with nice though nice breeds resentment because when you're making sure and this is especially psa to my leaders when you're making sure that the person across from you feels no discomfort they'll never learn they'll never grow you'll never actually be truly honest with them you won't have uncomfortable conversations that are for the benefit of their career Kind though, on the other hand, kind and honest are pretty much like they are they are conjoined twins. Like you cannot have one without the other. Being kind, be, I'll give you a great great example. This will this will define it for for you and your listeners. Someone is on their phone in a team meeting. They're like not paying attention. They're on their phone. Blah blah blah. Being nice is just kind of ignoring it, like passively doing a hey Joe. Did you have any questions? No. Oh okay uh, and just kind of glaring at them a little bit when they leave and not making them uncomfortable by calling them out. Right. That is being nice. That is Joe's now fine and comfortable. You never had to have any awkward conversations. That's being nice. Being kind is after the meeting saying, Hey Joe, I need to, I need to talk to you about something. I notice you're on your phone in the team meeting a lot. I don't know why. I don't know what you have going on. The story that we made up though, and what, what the rest of us saw is you don't care about what's going on in this team. Um, And for your career, I wanted to tell you that because I don't, I don't want that to be between you and doing really great work here. That's the kind thing. It's so uncomfortable to do that. It's easy for me to do an example right now. Oh my gosh, that makes sense that makes me sweat having to do that in real life. Like I'm just dripping. Cause that's like, ooh, um, but it's kind. And then there's the other thing which is being rude and aggressive, which is Joe, get off your mother effing phone. We're in a team meeting. That's not kind either. Let's be clear <laughs> or nice, <laughs> or nice. That's in its own realm. But That is the biggest thing I see is I regularly see leaders because I guarantee you, even the terrible boss you had at some point in your past They probably had good intentions. They just didn't know what they were doing because leading a team is really freaking hard. Um, So they'd be nice, which breeds resentment, which breeds you don't actually know. Like, that's why we don't get feedback. Of course we're screwing things up, but it's uncomfortable and they don't want to make us uncomfortable and they don't want to make themselves uncomfortable. And so we'd be nice. And we just don't resent each other. So
1: bringing that around for full circle to like the whole um, amazingness of what you what you talk about. I do. You think it's possible to be kind to a person without also allowing your emotions into that situation, without allowing yourself to be empathetic?
0: I no. I'm happy to be proven wrong if someone has an example, but I, it's never been possible for me.
1: Because I, I, missed, I mean I. I I think about that example you gave and I think that there are two ways that could go. It could go like completely emotionless of that conversation. And then the employee walks away and is like, that guy's an asshole. Or it could go with the empathy of, I really care about you, which is unfortunately emotion. Mm -hmm. And, um, it could end in a way that says, Hey, I kind of feel like this guy has my back. Maybe I should pay attention.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, like we put kindness in the category of like rainbows and butterflies and fuzzy kittens. And it's really sweet and kind and friendly and lovely. Kindness is, is actually really hard to do um, because it's genuinely caring about the person more than your own comfort. And that is very hard to do. I, I, stro- I struggle with that to this day all the time. That's so
1: amazing. That's so valuable. I think for everybody to listen to both on the leadership side, but also on the employee side, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we phrased this question on the leadership side, but this goes employee to employee or even like family members to family members. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, This idea of kindness, um, goes a long way. So I, thank you. I didn't think that question was going to be that easy to answer. So I'm glad it was. Um, so I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about success for you. Um, obviously we've talked a little bit um, about it throughout your story and the struggles that you had with feeling like you couldn't be yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What does success mean to you now? It's an interesting question. Cause, and I, I knew, I mean, I've listened to your podcast I knew you were going to ask me this, but I'm actually still really wrestling with that question for lots of reasons. But one, one I'm struggling with is, for me, success is very tied to, it sounds hokey, but integrity. So like, am I showing up in a way where my inside matches my outside? And that is, that is incredibly uncomfortable for me. That's not something that comes easily to me. And then, and then I do start to, of course, to like argue with myself, cause I've got like 16 people shoved in this brain. <laughs> I'm like, but hang on. So your inside matches your outside and you've made no money this month. Is that success? And I'm like, yes but it's not a profitable business, so how does that work? I'm still really wrestling. I I don't have the answer figured out, to be honest, for myself. I know integrity is a huge chunk of it. Um, I think paying my bills is in there somewhere, too.
1: (laughs) And I haven't (laughs) pushed it together yet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is important (laughs) stuff to me, being able to buy food for my kids. That's on the list of things. So I haven't figured it out yet, to be honest. I'm still really wrestling. So I love that answer, and the reason
1: for that is because the whole purpose of me asking this question and bringing this issue to light isn't to figure out what everybody's idea of success Mm. is. It's to start the conversation that we need to be thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. I think that like the person that comes on this podcast that answers what does success mean to you and has this definition, I could talk to that person in a year and a half And they could be like, well, it's completely changed. And so like, it's never this solid definition and it's never something we have to have figured out. But at the same time, by thinking about it and trying to figure out what it means to you, I think we figure it out more than we logically think we do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good point. Like just asking the question is a huge part of it, regardless of (laughs) what comes spilling out of your mouth, like just actually thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think the answer
1: is as important as the question, just because it's a question that's never asked. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we're, we're Mm -hmm. not raised as kids to say, all right, I want you to tell me what success means to you. We're told Mm -hmm. success is this now go get it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so like, that's why I love your answer so much. So you may think you don't have it figured out, but I think it was perfect. (laughs) I got a little bit of it figured out. What was this?
0: Have you ever watched, uh, there's a documentary called Finding Joe. It came out maybe a decade ago. I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. It's it's really lovely and really thought provoking. And it, it's a lot of these, it's very similar to the questions you ask your, your guests. And one of the quotes from there, I, I, I can't remember who said it, but it was in that documentary. They said, I spent my whole life climbing the corporate ladder only to find out it was against the wrong wall. And I was like, oh that one got me (laughs) that hurts a little like (laughs) that's
1: there are certain things and I think everybody who listens to this podcast will understand this feeling there are certain things that you hear or you read and it literally like punches you in the gut and Mm. takes you and that's one of those things of like ouch that hurts a little Mm -hmm. bit we -hmm. have hashtag two by four in my community and that's what that's what we um I'll, I'll get those all the time. Somebody will just send me hashtag two by four. And I'm like, I don't need that today. Let's save that for later. I
0: don't want to learn anything
1: today. I just want to eat Jello. Because I've always used the analogy that the universe will give you clues as to which way you're supposed mm. to be taking your life. And they'll be gentle about that. And then when you don't listen, all of a sudden it <laughs> comes at you with a two-by-four. So, <laughs> yep. Yep. You can tell my dad built houses for a living. I have a lot of construction references, you know, pieces of wood. <laughs> um, all right. So um your answer to the success leads me into this other anomaly of the relationship between success and fulfillment. And Mm. this wasn't something that I had thought of when I started this podcast. This has kind of come to light because of all of the answers that I've been getting to Mm. success. But what do you think is the relationship to you between success and fulfillment? Or are they completely unrelated?
0: No, they are related for me. And for me, it's almost like there's a third entity in there. It's like, And I don't, I can't articulate it. So this is sort of a useless answer for you, but it's like (laughs) success and fulfillment for those who can't see what I'm doing. They kind of go up, like one goes up an inch and then the next, they drag each other along almost. And then there feels like there's something else in there. I don't know if it's positive emotions like happiness and excitement and silly or if there's something about relationships, but it feels like there's something else that's helping pull them each along, or maybe it's just the dynamic between each other. But for me, yeah, for me, once I, once you set a goalpost, I can't say I've learned the hard way. I can't say I will be happy when I will feel successful when, because every time that has (laughs) two by four (laughs) smacked me in the face, like, Oh, I did the goal and I feel the same. If anything, a little deflated. Oh.
1: Well, and the scariest thing, and I can say this from experience, and I think that you can probably relate as well. The scariest thing is reaching that goalpost, that milestone, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when you reach it, and your problems are still there, and your life's not perfect, and you're not surrounded mm-hmm. by pixie dust, your mm-hmm. entire world kind of falls apart for a little bit, oh, and yeah. you have to refigure out what life looks like to you because your um, thing that was supposed to make everything better just shattered. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the goalposts. Stay away from those. Um, yes. <laughs> and and I kind of agree with you. Um, I know that it's hard to articulate, but I kind of agree with you. Like there's success and fulfillment are these two topics and ideas that are so um intangible. Mm. Um, but there's something else we relate to and that's like whatever we relate, I think, to happiness or joy mm-hmm. or accomplishment or whatever that is. And, and I could totally see that being kind of that third thing that plays in you. Yeah. It, you know, something that whatever our individual go post of progress is, mm-hmm. is kind mm-hmm. of, of in there. And so I really like that. I've actually never thought of it like that before, but I think that that resonates a lot with me. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Those are amazing answers. What I would love to do, first of all, before we get there, um, how can people reach you if they have questions or if they want to contact you concerning your services or anything to that effect?
0: Amazing. Well, my website is under construction because I finally... (laughs) I was like, Hey, I have an idea. Instead of pretending I'm a website designer, I could hire one who does this and is good at it. I know. I know. It only took me four years to come up with that brilliance. Um, so yeah, under construction by a wonderful website designer. So social media, um, at light up work is all my handles. You can find me there. Jess at light up work. If you want to drop me an email. Um, that's where I usually hang out. You'll see pictures of my truly adorable children. I, I, I do talk about how annoying they are as well, though, so don't worry, I don't paint a beautiful Instagram picture, for <laughs> the worst. Yesterday, my three-year-old literally came in during my video conference, insisted on sitting on my lap and talking into my mic, and I was like, I'm a professional, I'm a professional, and this is just the times we're in, I'm a professional. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. so I share, you know, behind the scenes as well, so you can find me on there, uh, Facebook, Instagram, or usually where I'm hanging out. And then... Yeah. Like I say, websites under construction. And, um, I do talk about my services and my, in my social media now and then. So the big one that I'm working with people on right now that I'm so excited about, it's my first round. So it's going to be a hot mess, but it'll be still be amazing is called the confidence project. And that really is about how do we build our confidence muscle now in our work rather than waiting 30 years and finding out, Oh, expertise isn't actually how we get confident it's this other thing and it's related to our soft skills and our mindset and our relationships and so it's a it's a six-week program to kind of do that now instead of waiting for the goalpost so that's what I'm up to at the moment love it and when does that launch do you have dates for it yet or so yeah so the first the first beta round is launching um next week I'm so excited. And I just (laughs) love the people that I'm working with on it too. So even if it's a disaster, I'm still going to have so much fun. And then it's going to run again later on in the summer too, in a little bit more of a cleaned up version too, if anyone's interested. Awesome. So I will send people over
1: to your social media. They can connect with you there. We'll post your TED talk in the show notes as well. Get some of that out there and have people reach out and connect with you and help you make an impact in the world because I think you're oh, on an amazing mission. So thank
0: you.
1: before we wrap up, I would love to let people get to know you on a personal level a little bit more. Are you okay with a quick random round? Let's do it. All right. What profession other than your own do
0: you think would be fun to attempt? I know exactly the answer to this. I would be a bush pilot. Like I'd want to fly people into weird remote parts of Northern Canada that you can only get to by plane. I know.
1: Dude, I love it. I want to go on that <laughs> trip with you.
0: Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Okay. I think I'd go back to like the height of ancient Greek civilization, even though they didn't really like gals then. So I'd have to like, <laughs> I'd have to manage that. But as a kid, I was just obsessed with ancient Greek civilization. So I'd want to, I want to see it, even though it might ruin the glamour for me, but I'd still do it. I'd still want to go see it love
1: it. Um, what personality trait or skill or quality has been most helpful to you throughout your life?
0: Oh, it sounds hokey, but just connection. Like I love people and, and I'm a bit of a secret introvert. Like I also, once I've dealt with people, I have to go hide in a closet yes. and for a while. Don't get me wrong, but I just, I love relationships and hearing people and listening to their stories and telling mine. And it's so yes. The world can
1: only get so people-y for me, and then I have to walk away. But <laughs> oh, yeah. I am with, with you. I am um, with you. Do you prefer when you're reading books? Do you prefer the actual physical book, or do you like listening to audiobooks?
0: I can't do audiobooks. Not at I all. Huh? No, I can't do it because before I realize, I'm like, I am six chapters in, and I don't have a clue what I wasn't listening at all. Yeah, so I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> Apparently, no, I'm listening to real you. life people,
1: but I'm a book. I'm a book gal. I find myself listening to the audiobook and then finding out that I find it interesting and then buying the book. And then I'm like, what was the purpose of this? So now somebody s- suggested that I listen to the audiobook while I read the book. And so I'm trying this out and it's a whole different experiment. I kind of feel like I'm back in school. Um, <laughs> what book have you recommended the most to people?
0: Okay, there's, there's two. Because one is recently I've been recommending Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Okay. It's an unbelievable masterpiece. I read it in a day and my whole family was like, can you just stop reading and like actually focus on the humans? And I was like, no, no, I can't go away. Um, So Untamed by Glennon Doyle, that's the recent one. But over time, uh, Playing Big by Tara Moore, M-O-H-R. She is magic. She's just, I'm just like a creepy raving fan. Like, I don't think I could ever meet her in real life because I creep her out. Uh, Playing Big, it's such a beautiful book. Um, for women in business. That's how I feel about Brene Brown. I'm like, I want to get her on the podcast,
1: but I need to wait and like calm
0: my fangirl (laughs) a little bit first.
1: Um, (laughs) I know. I don't think I could do it. Um, So I'm a huge music nerd. So I have
0: to ask what like song motivates you? What's your Mm pump-up song? What gets you Mm -hmm. moving in the mornings? At the moment, it's, um, (laughs) there was a musical that came out a couple years ago. I'm so not an early adopter, by the way. I'm always two years (laughs) Called the greatest showman. The greatest it? showman. Yeah. So the song, the song from there, what's what's it called? <laughs> I'm not gonna sing it to you because no one no, likes that. Um, it's the so, one that's like about you know. Oh whatever. I'll, so I'll, I'll,
1: I'll Google there's, it. <laughs> there's this is me. Yes. Uh, this, okay. All right. Yes. So that's, that's my spirit song. Like oh, so much. There was there was a really long time where I was this attorney that had a message and I was trying to figure out how Mm. those two things went together before I started this podcast. And that song played every single morning when I woke up, like figuring out who the freak you are. So no, I love it so much. Yeah, Um, that's me. (laughs) And then lastly, I'm a huge um, proponent of morning routines, although I am not always consistent
0: on mine. Mm -hmm. Do you
1: have one? And if so, what does it look like?
0: I don't, but here's why. I have young children. And so my morning routine is my baby, like rolling over and licking my face and my three year old racing in and telling me about her doll and it's feeling groggy and drinking a bunch of tea and kind of wishing that I was single in an apartment with cats. And then about a half an hour later after my tea, I'm like, oh, my kids are really great. So is my husband. Blah. So my morning routine is chaos. <laughs> Anyone, by the way, out there who's like, oh, just wake up you know, an hour before your kids, I'm not getting up at 4.00 AM. Okay. Forget it. I'm sorry. It ain't happening just so I can meditate and draw a card. It's not happening. I will we'll I- do that. Not time. only that,
1: I don't have kids. <laughs> I don't have kids. So this is not firsthand knowledge, but I tend to believe that they are adjustable human beings mm-hmm. and very adaptable. And so if you start getting up at four, they're going to be like, oh, it's wake up time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm no, like, I'm not doing it. get up at three <laughs> and then you're just not going to go to
0: bed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, amazing. so one day, one day, my morning routine will be, I'll get up. like this lovely backyard filled with trees and I'll look and I'll sit out on the deck with a tea and it'll be quiet and I'll probably like draw an oracle card and I'll just like sit in silence but right now no my morning is chaos and that's okay season of life that's right
1: that's okay this is fine (laughs) (laughs) Uh, perfect well one more time just for everybody in case they missed it before your social media handle is at light up work
0: you can find me on instagram and facebook i'm always hanging around there um and i love it and i love i love hearing people and following new people and seeing what they're up to so yeah find me there and we'll connect and it'll be great
1: perfect it was amazing chatting with you there was so much value in this episode and i really
0: appreciate you taking the time to um spend some of your busy day with us oh i loved it amber i love what you're doing i love your podcast i love your work in the world and i'm just yeah i'm so excited to keep seeing what you're doing